the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Where are they going? To Mount Moriah. Where was Christ crucified? He was crucified on Mount Moriah. On that same place, the cross was erected 2,000 years later. Jesus, the Son of God, would be offered at the same place for the sacrifice of the sins of the world. And it would be a place where love was really demonstrated, where there would be a sense of worship unto the Lord because the Lamb has died for the sins of the world. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, he packed the necessary things, got his boy, and began the journey to Mount Moriah. He didn't fight or question God, he simply obeyed. Pastor Gary teaches you today that Abraham's love for God placed in him a willingness to give up everything for him, even the thing he loved most, his son. Similarly, God's love for us is so great that he too was willing to give up his child. Knowing that our only means for salvation could be gained through him, God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. They may not be a part of the original intent of the covenant plan of God in terms of salvation for the world through a Messiah, but nevertheless, the descendants of Ishmael are people of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, and they are blessed as well. Now, statistically, when we talk about Abraham's descendants as numerous as the stars and the sand on the seashore, there are 22 Arab states in the world today. So the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael, the land of Ishmael. There are 22 Arab states, if you were to include Palestine, if if you look, if you Google it, Palestine's considered one of the Arab states, even though they're not officially a state. There's 21 plus the Palestinian people as part of the descendants of Abraham. So let's just, you know, round it up to 22. And there are roughly 425 million Arabs in those 22 states. So we're talking a majority of the Middle East plus the northern coast of Africa. Okay, 425 million Arab people, descendants of Abraham, in 22 states. How many states for the Jewish people are there? One. One state for the Jewish people. 
And today, worldwide, only about 14 million Jews. 14 million versus 425 million. Why the great disparaging difference between the two descendants of the sons of of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac? Because the Jewish people have been persecuted. I mean, disproportionately so. When when you look at, at their history and you consider, you know, the slaughter of six billion Jews over the period of the Holocaust, on the eve of World War II, the Jewish population worldwide was about 16 million. Today, it's only 14 million. They've not even gotten back to what their numbers were in terms of worldwide population of Jewish people before the Holocaust. So there's a great difference of the numbers, but nevertheless, all told together, Abraham's descendants, when you take together the descendants of Ishmael, the descendants of Isaac, you have a lot of people there, as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And then in verse 13 through uh, 16, we read a moment ago, I'll just read through it again. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised because they're, they're ultimately looking at Messiah. They ultimately have the hope of Messiah. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they'd be able to the opportunity to return. So this is something that is beyond an earthly country. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay, that's the ultimate reward. That's what they're living for. That's what we're living for. And then he picks back up on the story of Abraham, and this is the third great test. In verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He would receive the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now notice, again, that God tells him, sacrifice your son, your one and only son, even though Ishmael had already been born, but it's the idea that this is the one son of the promise that I really intended for you to have if you would have waited on me. Okay, things got out of order. I'm still going to bless your descendants through Ishmael, but the child of the promise is Isaac. So that's why he's called here as your one and only son. And can you imagine, you, you know, you're told at the age of 75, you're not going to be able to have any children. You're told at the age of 75, you're going to have descendants. You wait, you, you hasten along the plan because you think you got to help God out. None of us have been guilty of that, I'm sure. And then by the time you finally get to be a hundred and you have a child, I mean, this is like the great delight of your life. And then God says, I want you to give him up. You want what? I want you to give him up. I want you to sacrifice your son. And again, he's going to be a man of faith because here's what he thinks, all right? If God promised me this son, we've had this son, if God's telling me now to sacrifice him, then what I have to believe is God can raise him from the dead. That's what this is telling us in this passage. Now, he reasons all this. Abraham's like, okay, God told me to have the son. I've had the son. I'm I'm 100 years old. This is a miracle of God. If God's going to tell me to kill this son, but yet he's promised to me descendants, that it must be God's going to raise him from the dead. Now, I'm going to read to you just real quickly. You can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. I want to read to you the account when he was told to sacrifice Isaac. It's out of Genesis chapter 22. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. So out of Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14, this is the story of when God tested Abraham and asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac. 
And there's, there's great uh, imagery and parallel here in this story. And um, there are a lot of firsts in this story. And I'll po- point out what I mean when I read through it. So it's Genesis 22, verses 1 to 14. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. First time the word love appears in the Bible. This, this is one of the first that I, that I was referring to. First time the word love appears in your Bible is right there. Ahav in the Hebrew. Take your son, your one and only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the region of Moriah. This is, this is in Jerusalem. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one, of the, on the one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. First time the word worship appears in the Bible. It's Shaka. Shaka. Not Shaka Khan. That was a singer in the 80s. Okay, come back. Shaka is the Hebrew that means worship. One of the Hebrew words that means worship. First time the word worship appears in the Bible. We will worship and we will come back to you. This is what he says to the servants. You can hear his faith already. So I'm gonna, we're going to go worship. Now, Abraham knows I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sacrifice my son, but we're going to come back because he's just trusting God in all of this. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, Isaac, get, gets his boy to haul the wood. I mean, that's a good father right there. I'm telling you what, it's time to take out the trash, kid. You're old enough. And so he puts the wood on his son, Isaac. So his son, Isaac, is carrying the wood. Now, this is imagery here. I'm going to come back to it. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? First time the word lamb appears in the Bible. First time the word love, first time the word worship, first time the word lamb appears in the Bible. This is a great story. Anybody seeing the parallels yet? And so there's enough of an awareness here that in order for the sacrifice to be made, there has to be a lamb. And so Isaac asked, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. By the way, that's a much better answer than you are. You know, (laughs) that would have kind of rocked his world kind of, you know, but he says, well, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the trust that this takes? But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up, and there in a the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And when he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide this is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh, and, the, and to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Your attention, please. Again, this is a great demonstration of faith. I couldn't do this. 
I mean, can you imagine being told by God, I want you to take your son, I want you to sacrifice your son. This is a test. And Abraham believes, if I have to kill my boy, God can raise him from the dead. So I'm going to do what God tells me. And so he's faithful to this. Now, a lot of people, especially if you grew up in Sunday school and you, and you have studied this story, think that Isaac is what? Eight, nine, ten, maybe twelve. When you look at the chronology of the events of the book of Genesis, Isaac is probably in the range between 30 and 33 years of age. Now, it does refer to him as a boy, but in that culture, you know, he's still considered a young man, especially when dad is 100 and now 133, right? So, relatively speaking, he's young, but he's not a little tiny kid. So, there's this beautiful parallel where Abraham, as the father who loves his son, who's roughly 30 to 33 years of age, the son has to carry the wood on his back to the place of the sacrifice. You picture the cross, and where are they going? To Mount Moriah. Where was Christ crucified? He was crucified on Mount Moriah. On that same place, the cross was erected 2,000 years later. Jesus, the Son of God, would be offered at the same place for the sacrifice of the sins of the world. And it would be a place where love was really demonstrated, where there would be a sense of worship unto the Lord because the Lamb has died for the sins of the world. This is a wonderful parallel here. Abraham, in obedience, obeyed God, and his faith is recorded for us in the Hebrew Hall of Faith as someone who trusted God because he reckoned, God can raise my boy from the dead if need be. And so, back here in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham is commended in this way, as a great man of faith. And so, as the list continues, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. So I'm going to look at both of these two guys together, Isaac and Jacob on our list. Uh, They're numbers uh, five and six on, on the list. And they each get one verse here in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. He had twin sons, Jacob and Esau, in regard to their future. That's all it says about Isaac. But, but I want you to circle the word blessed in your, in your Bibles. He blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau, in regard to their future. And then the next verse, verse 21, says the same thing about his son, Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, That would be Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandsons. And he worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So the one thing, the reason I'm taking both of these guys together is that the one thing that is common to why they get mentioned here in the Hall of Faith is that Isaac blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob blessed uh, the sons of his son Joseph, which would be his grandsons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so these were men who were intentional about blessing their children, about blessing the next generation. And of all the many things that they did in their lives for which they could be commended, the one reason that they're both listed here in the Hall of Faith is that they bless their kids. And why is that a demonstration of faith? Because they bless their kids in regards to their kids' future, and they trusted God 
with their children and for their children. They just believed God for them and, and trusted God in, in regards to them. And, and I love this about these guys because it sets for us an example. Again, these people should inspire us and these people should be setting examples for us. And even though these were the men of the family, the patriarch of the, of the household, ladies, take the same freedom to bless your kids. And as parents, as, as fathers and mothers, we should be praying over our kids and blessing our kids and committing them to God and trusting by faith that God's going to take care of them and God's going to use them and God's going to protect them and God's going to watch over them. But we have to entrust them to God because they're God's anyway. They're just, you know, really on loan in a way. We're just to be managers and stewards of everything that God's entrusted to our care. We're just to be good managers and good stewards and people who love and care for our kids. But they really, in essence, don't belong to us. They belong to God. And it takes a lot of faith to trust God for your kids. And they, and they blessed their kids in this way. Now, the paternal blessing, especially in this culture, was, was the most valuable heritage that parents could bequeath to their children. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Terry and I were at a funeral for a friend of ours who happened to have been the very first worship leader that I hired here at Cornerstone Chapel. And uh, just a godly man. Just loved Daryl and Paula and his kids. And um, some of his kids and grandkids go here to Cornerstone. And um, he was... Um, just a man who just really loved the Lord. Very, one of the most humble man, men I've, I've ever met. And uh, he, he basically died of heart failure. And um, he had the opportunity, as he was dying, to bless his kids and to speak into their lives one last time. And the kids and the grandkids were sharing this at, at the funeral. And it was just a very moving thing. And it just reminded me of like here, you know, like Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed Joseph's sons. He blessed his grandkids while he leaned on his staff, it tells us there. So, you know, Jacob is just, he's an old man at this point and he's dying. And so the last thing that he wants to do is bless his kids and pray a blessing over his children and over his grandchildren. And, and that's what Daryl was able to do. And, and the testimony at the, at the funeral of when the kids would get up and the grandkids get up and talk about how dad and their grandpa, they, he, they would lean into him as he's just dying in the, in the hospital bed. And he would just say, some, sometimes he was in and out of consciousness. And it was an interesting thing. They said that as they would lean into to talk to him, that he would awaken and that he would speak a verse or he would bless them in some way or give a promise to them, you know, that, that he knew was a scriptural promise. And it was just a wonderful thing to hear his kids and his grandkids. And I just thought, you know, listen, we, we need to be doing this on a regular basis over our kids. And just blessing them and praying over them. This is a, the most important heritage that kids could get in this Jewish culture. And do you know that even today, Jewish dads will still pray over their kids, giving this patriarchal blessing. And when a Jewish dad prays over a boy, he starts by saying, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, right after this story that's mentioned here. This is exactly what Jacob does. And a Jewish dad will pray over his kids and pray that blessing. May God make you pray over his sons. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And if he prays over his daughters, when he prays over his daughters and blesses his daughters, a Jewish dad today will also say, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And then, so that's unique depending on whether they're a boy or a girl. And then he prays the same thing over both of them, no matter the gender. This is the rest of the prayer. And may God bless you and guard you. And may God show you favor and be gracious to you. And may God show you kindness and grant you peace. That's still today the paternal blessing that a Jewish dad will pray over a son and over a daughter. Now, several years ago, I was invited to go to a talk that was given by Zig Ziglar. How many of you remember Zig Ziglar? I see some hands. So Zig Ziglar died a few years ago, but he was a, he was a strong believer um, as a Christian, and, um, but he was a motivational speaker, wrote a lot of great books, and, and uh, just was a wonderful man. I, I had the opportunity to meet him after, after he gave his little talk, and this was several years ago. And, and to be honest with you, with all due respect to how great it probably was, I don't remember a single thing from his talk except one. I'll never forget a statistic that he shared, and I actually later followed up and just kind of followed up to, you know, kind of a little fact check. But he talked about how there is a tiny percentage of the prison population who are Jewish. And I never really thought about that stat before. But he compared it and believed that the reason that there's such a tiny Jewish population in prison is because of the blessing that is traditionally given over kids. That they are receiving this blessing and this prayer of protection, and thus their lives take a different trajectory. And they don't end up getting involved in some of the things that land people in prison. And so statistically, I think this is just an interesting stat. Jews today in the United States make up about 2% of the population. So at about 325 million people in the United States, about 6 million are Jews. So it's about roughly 2% of the United States population are Jewish. But of the prison population, Jews make up only 0.3% of the prison population. So out of roughly 2.3 million people in prison, only about 8,000 are Jews. It's an interesting statistic. I also found out this is other free information. Michigan. Michigan had some information I couldn't find in other states. I was curious about Virginia. Michigan has people who declare that they're Baptist, 82,000 in Michigan. People who identify as Jewish, 83,000 in Michigan. Okay? But in prison, there are 22 times as many Baptists than there are Jews. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? And 18 times as many Methodists as Jews in prison. You can do with that what you want. That's free information to you. But it, could it be that because they passed on a godly heritage to their children and blessed them and entrusted their kids to God, as we should do, trusting and believing that God is good and faithful and loving, who has a future for our children, walking in faith and believing God for our kids, that God will take care of his kids. Let's be faithful as parents to pray over them and bless them. When they go out of that, out of that door for school, or you drop them off out of, out of the car, or if you homeschool in, in the morning time and have some devotions with them, pray over your kids and bless your kids and let them go in the grace and strength and coverage of the Lord. 
your new life. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Hebrews again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary's Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so you're able to keep up to date with every new program we post as soon as we make it available. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go, in every circumstance you find yourself in. All this is found at our website. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd be happy to do our best to answer your questions and tell you more about this ministry, along with the church it stems from, Cornerstone Chapel. So don't hesitate to call. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know